0: over the first 30 plus years of my life as a believer, as a minister, and as a missionary in uh, a lot of the countries of the earth. Check it out. Anthology is from the forefront. Book two, Getting Closer to God. It's on Amazon. We serve a God who rescues lost causes, and it's never too late. No matter where we start or where we go, He can transform us into fire brands for his glory, if we let him. If that interests you, stick around. Welcome to Leader's Moment, brought to you by Vision Voice and FX Missions Podcasting. We encourage you to take this moment and use it to sharpen the saw of your leadership perspective and performance. We're bringing you interviews, stories, and more from leaders much like yourself who are taking action learning, realizing potential, and getting results. When God reaches down into our lives and plucks us out of darkness, it is a truly beautiful thing. We're going to unpack that a little more in a minute, but today's conversation with Dave Skinner starts with a guy born into every advantage except a family that knew Christ, and it went downhill from there until Christ intervened in some pretty powerful ways. As we get started, I do want to say welcome, especially if you're joining us from the from the Forefront podcast. Thank you for being here. As we transition to our time with Dave, I'd like to ask you to take a moment and pause and pray for two things with me. Number one, that everyone who hears this interview would be able to hear exactly what God has for them and that their lives would be shifted if even ever so slightly, more closely to the image of Christ. Number two, that we would have the ability and the insight to be able to get this in front of everyone God has prepared for it at exactly the right time. Thank you for your prayers. Well, Scott McClelland here for FX Missions Podcasting. Very excited today to be joined by a friend of a friend who we haven't met in person, but Dave Skinner, welcome.
1: We are family. Yes. Scott McClellan, God bless you. It's good to be on with you.
0: Yes. Same here. Really appreciate the opportunity. And I think the last time I tried to reach out to you, you were somewhere in Bolivia or Florida. or. Oh, yeah. No, the very first time I was in Peru
1: because I've been working the Amazon basin for many years there. And then I came back, and we had a short conversation from Florida when I was leaving North Carolina, going back to Texas. So if you can put Florida in the mix there, you say, what kind of
0: geography is that? But it's good to be on planet Earth here for Jesus. Amen. Amen to that. Yes, thank you. I rarely find people who travel more than I do. It does happen, but I think I may have found one in you. (laughs) <laughs> very mobile and for the gospel. So that's pretty exciting stuff. There's so much to talk about during this time, and thank you for taking the time. But I want to talk just about your missions efforts, maybe how you got involved in missions. Whew. Yeah. You want the short version? <laughs> well, we've got about 45 minutes, so that's probably the short version.
1: It probably is, Yeah. If my wife were here, there'd be various versions, but uh, I'll I'll give you mine just because I can. Scott, I was not raised in a Christian family. My family was in the secular sense, very successful and I never was a disadvantaged person. I never lacked anything. I always had a very good life. I'm a white American spoiled rich kid and went to private schools and always got everything I wanted. You know, the Bible says, man, shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of god i was really quite empty so you're probably not old enough to remember i don't know how old you are but back in the days when hippies roamed the earth i was one of them and it wasn't because i was a rejected or dejected member of society we had our quirks the vietnam war and you know certain things like that anyone who's Seen some short history lessons, understands that I became a hippie and I smoked my dope and did my LSD and did everything that all the genuine hippies did. And it was not because of a problem. I mean, it's just I didn't know Christ. I didn't know what to live for. I didn't know the purpose of life. So I did what all my friends did, you know, and money doesn't keep you away. Just because I went to private school didn't mean that, well, We'll send him to an expensive private school so he won't smoke dope. (laughs) That That just was ridiculous, you know. So we lived that kind of life. And I had a friend in the Jesus movement. There was an underground rumble. People were getting saved. A lot of my friends were just hippies. And then all of a sudden they met Jesus And I really don't know how it happened. It did not come institutionally upon the earth. It was a very grassroots organization. And I got preached to basically while I was on LSD trips and smoking dope and running around doing all the crazy stuff, people would hand me tracks. Glenn Schwartz was a friend of mine, and I met him backstage. I'm pretty sure it was a a Rolling Stones concert. I remember Steppenwolf was there and we were backstage and Glenn Schwartz handed me a bookmarker with John 3.16 on it and he told me Christ died for my sins. And I remember clearly I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit without even knowing what was happening. I knew what he was saying to me was absolutely true. He said, you can know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, free was a hippie buzzword. I mean, every hippie said, man, no look at my hair. Do I look like anybody tells me what to do? Look who I'm with. Look how I live. Look at my drugs. Look, you know, do you think I'm conforming? I'm absolutely. And we confused anarchy with liberty. You know, we were little anarchists doing whatever we wanted. So, but a very long story short, Glenn told me about Jesus. I was convicted of the Holy Spirit. I didn't understand what he was talking about. But I knew that what he was saying was true because he was quoting Bible verses to me. And when people quote the word of God, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. A lot of people want the Holy Spirit to bless and confirm whatever they want to do. And uh-uh, he's not obligated to do it at all. But he was speaking scripture to me. And it was like I was getting hammered all over and I couldn't even see what was going on. I just felt the conviction of the Spirit. So by July 5th, 1968, I committed my life to Christ on a drug overdose in Hermosa Beach, California. I gave my life to Christ and I lived. I not only lived, I got life. I gave my life to (laughs) Jesus because I had heard the word. And when I went home, I was young. I was only like 18 years old. My parents had moved to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and I went home to... I guess stay with them, sort of like living in your parents' basement, you know, but a little bit different. But I went back to see my parents, and I told them I had become Christian. My father asked me why I cut my hair, because I had been an embarrassment to him for many of his social parties and things like that, you know. And I cut my hair, and he said, what happened to you? I said, well, I'm free. I have Jesus in my heart, and I don't need any banner. Or signs to show that I'm free because Jesus has really honestly set me free. I don't need to prove anything to anybody. So I cut my hair off. And I thought he would be ecstatic about that. But he came up very close, got really face to face with me and said, would you consider some psychological testing? And (laughs) I did. I said, okay, fine. Hammer away. So they sent me to Philadelphia for three days of psychological analysis, and I found out that God has not given us the spirit of fear. I was a little nervous, though, I must admit, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And I just went in there and said, Jesus, help me put this jigsaw puzzle together. The anointing came on me, and bam, that was it. So now I'm the only one in my family, by the way, with the diplomacy of sanity. I do have a sound mind. (laughs) Amen to that. I drifted out of my family's graces from then. Well, we were pretty well off, but my father simply said, I'm not leaving any of my money to Jim Jones or anybody like him. Now, some people in your audience won't know who Jim Jones was, but he was referring to me becoming religious. So that put a real conflict, schism between us there. Right, And so it went on for about 35 years. In the Jesus movement, we preached. I remember the first time they set me on a block of concrete, we were visiting Haiti. We were from Fort Lauderdale. There was a Jesus house in Fort Lauderdale where a number of people had been converted from all walks of life. I mean, girls working the streets and some guys were aerospace engineers. And I mean, there was the whole gamut. It didn't really matter what your status in life was. What we had in common was we had found Jesus. We knew that we would get together and have Bible studies. We all understood the value of the word of God you could hit Jesus houses all across America in the late sixties and early seventies. You would never see a Bible with gold on the edge of it. Totally worn off. If you opened it up, all the words were underlined and personal notes were written and highlightings all over. It was, it was a very word oriented movement. And because it was, it put us on the streets. We hit the bars, the nightclubs. We would have services out on the beach at Fort Lauderdale, and we'd pray with people on the sidewalk to receive Christ. We'd even go into the supermarkets, <laughs> grab the microphone at customer service desk, and start preaching. You know, Jesus is coming soon. Oh, Get ready. It was a little overdone, but I enjoyed it. I wouldn't trade it for anything. You know,
0: Amen to that. Yes,
1: and that was pretty much uh, how I came into it, and then. The baptism of the Holy Ghost was very much a regular part of the Jesus movement. When you got saved, you committed your life to Christ, we understand. I didn't know anything about it then, but now I know in hindsight that when I became a Christian, the Holy Spirit baptized me into Christ, but there came an experience as a Christian where Christ baptized me in the Holy Spirit, and I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it was phenomenal. We were just a house of radical, radical Jesus kids that were on fire for God. After we preached all the clubs and motorcycle gangs in Fort Lauderdale and went around all the places we could, we decided, well, Jesus said, go in all the world. So we took off. And I went for a two-week mission trip to Haiti, and I did not return for four years. I stayed there, and I preached every single day. I preach on the radio. I preached in the marketplaces. There was about 15 of us who went there. We stayed there for four years. We literally walked across the entire nation. It's on the western end of the island of Hispaniola, and we walked from village to village. It would take us days, but we preached to every single person, and we walked to the village by foot. We shared the gospel, and for four years we did that. My word. Then I went to the other side of the island, which was the Dominican Republic. I was single at the time. Okay, I wasn't looking for a wife. I was a young kid. I didn't have out-of-control sex urges because I had been filled with the Holy Ghost. I was on fire for Jesus, praying on my knees and reading the Bible every day. And if you walk after the Spirit, you mortify the deeds of the flesh. They just don't become the driving dominant factor in your life anymore. But I believe it's by the will of God. I was married in the Dominican Republic. My wife, she was a missionary there. She's a Puerto Rican from the Dominican Republic. Next week, as a matter of fact, we're going to celebrate 48 years of marriage. So I got 48 years of hindsight saying, thank you, Jesus. It was a good thing. He that findeth a prudent wife gets favor of the Lord. Amen. So what date is that, Dave? Oh, that would have been 1974. I was saved on July 5th, 1968, but I got married September 21st,
0: 1974. Oh, wow. That's close to my anniversary as well.
1: Well, congrats.
0: We're <laughs> behind you a few years, but happy anniversary to you. and Yeah,
1: well, thank you. Thank you. But yeah, so that's how I got involved in mission work. And then my wife has no other interest. She never asked for a house, a car, a white fence with two cats in the yard where life used to be so hard. If you remember Crosby, Stills, and Nash, maybe not. But anyway, (laughs) she was a missionary and she was going for for mission. She always wanted to be a missionary. She became a Christian at a young age and was baptized in the Holy Spirit at seven years of age in her little Pentecostal church in Puerto Rico. And so by the time we were married, she was 26 and she was ready to turn the world upside down. So we said, okay, let's go. And we went through 33 countries and preached the gospel everywhere we went. We spent some time in Mexico, spent about 30 years in Mexico working in Bible translations and things like that. So where at in Mexico were you guys? We first landed in Mexico City. This is not even a spiritual thing. I just said, God, where can can we win the most souls? So we simply went to the largest city on earth. Mexico City had 30 million people in it. So I said, okay, if I stand on the street corner and preach, I can get at least 180,000 people a day. I don't know how many are going to get saved. So there wasn't any really come to Macedonia visions or anything like that. I just picked it because I don't always hear from God when I pray. I don't always get a specific address, you know, like go to 512 Main Street. So the only thing I knew to do was do what I could do. So I went to the most populated city on earth in Mexico City, and then we started to preach in the outskirts. They invited me, a guy named Danny Ost. Joel Trimble, who was a friend of mine, went to Haiti, and he met Danny Ost. Danny Ost has gone on to be with Jesus. It's been a while now. He had several churches in Mexico City with like 10,000 members each, because you're talking about a huge metropolitan area there. So... I went down with him and preached there, and he had a pastor in a church in a little town called Yautepec, and he had been in a coma for two weeks. The guy was out. He was in a coma for two weeks, so they asked me to go over there and preach, and I went there and preached, and I met a lot of people in the valley there. The guy filling in for him, Alberto Villalobo, he got baptized in the Holy Spirit. He took me to meet a bunch of other pastors and God was really doing miraculous things there. There were blind people receiving their sight. Epileptics were ceasing their seizures and being delivered. And things were happening. And, and believe me, I know this has nothing to do with me. <laughs> I know that Jesus was doing these things. And these people thought, Oh my gosh, the gods have come down to us and they were bringing us chickens and eggs and all kinds of offerings to our little house and stuff like that. I mean, Really, after all these years, they're my best friends. We've had a wonderful relationship and I've traveled with them all through Central America and we've evangelized. I've always wanted to be mobile because I got pata caliente, hot feet. That's what they call it in Spanish. And I've always felt the urge just to, you know, move and preach. I will draw a comparison in there. You got Matthew 24, 14 and Matthew 28, 20 and 21. And you've got one that says, when this gospel is preached into all nations, then the end shall come. And then you've got the other one that says, go into all nations or make disciples of all nations, teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they are not contradictory, because unless you go and announce Christ, well, they can't become Christians. Right? I mean, there's no way. Nobody on earth has ever become a Christian without calling upon the name of Christ. It is impossible. Read the 10th chapter of Romans. So we recognize that although we have to announce the gospel, which to me, I I kind of summarize it as death, burial, and resurrection. As a matter of fact, there's one tribe, the Wampis in the Amazon jungle. All we gave them was the gospel of Mark, and it was enough to effectuate a real salvation and change in their lives. That's just because it took us a year to get that translation. And so I thought, okay, I can either hang out another 15 years and wait for the whole New Testament, or I'll just give them the gospel of Mark. And I just gave them the gospel of Mark, and that was it. So yes, they have to hear the name of Jesus, but I am not opposed or I will not excuse discipleship because we have not been called to make decisions for Christ. We really honestly have been called to make disciples for
0: Christ. Mm. Well said.
1: So that was in Mexico. So we were all over from the north to the south, from Tapachula, Oaxaca. We all came out of, we covered, gosh, we covered the whole south of Mexico from Mexico City, really down to Guatemala City, which is outside. Yeah, Then all over Mexico. man. And I love Mexican food.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can agree on that.
1: I said, God, are you sure I'm supposed to be here? I said, I even asked God one time, I thought, are you sure I'm supposed to be in Mexico? There's nothing about this country I do not like. I mean, aren't I supposed to like hate where I am and have to suffer and be miserable and eat dirt and have horrible food and bad things happen? And it was just a fabulous experience. I love the people. I love the climate. I love the food. So thank you, Jesus.
0: <laughs> Amen to that. I've been around Mexico and I know the Oss family of which you speak. Oh, do you? Okay. I was working in a conference with uh, Timmy, which is Timoteo's son, who I think is... About seven, two,
1: I imagine. (laughs) I haven't seen Timmy since he was little.
0: He's no longer little. (laughs) He's living in Austin now, believe it or not, with a family of his own. They're planning a Spanish-speaking church in Austin. So I had him on the podcast not too long ago, and I know some of the extended family, and I'm familiar with the decorated history of the Aust family. What a blessing to Mexico. So it's very cool. Well,
1: Danny was a wonderful, or is a
0: wonderful brother. He's gone, on
1: to be with the Lord. I know I have a habit of saying that people that have passed on like Danny was, no, he is wonderful. He's just in a different place now.
0: Indeed, indeed, indeed.
1: And I know Tim's dad, Timmy, or Big Tim, Tall Tim, you know, and Benny, I was with Benny in Tehuacan, Mexico and I threw up all over the inside of his Jeep. (laughs) I had domain poisoning.
0: (laughs) Oh no! But that was
1: not the norm for Mexico, okay? I just got a hold of some bad stuff.
0: Yeah, happens. It happens for sure. I'd like for you to talk a little bit about what puts you in a position to act on your faith in terms of engaging in missions. You already kind of talked to us about that. But in view of if someone's thinking about getting active going into all the world what would you say to that person about hey here's some things to consider here's what you, you know you've been to x number 30 some whatever nations you've been to from tribes to the the high rollers in Mexico City you know what I'm saying the people who are in mega churches right on down to a guy you're trying to understand his language so you can give him the gospel uh-huh what across that spectrum animates you to encourage others to obey the great commandment and the great commission and making disciples?
1: I would say to people that are toying with the idea, go. It might sound simple, but go is not very hard to understand. It means a change of location. What part of go do you not understand? I would say it's really a simple thing. And I do know there's a lot of hesitation. I will simply say if people don't go, and this will be very rude and crass, it's because they don't want to. Mm. I don't know any other excuse. I don't have the money. Well, then that's more important to you than going. So we're dealing with pretext. People vote with their feet. What you do says something about what you believe. And people do what they want to do. The only thing I can know to do is I pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth the laborers into the field. I can tell you, I have tried dragging people into fields. They felt like they were supposed to. They felt like, I guess, complying with me is the Mm -hmm. Christian thing to do. I'm a missionary, so they should be too. So if I go over there, then they think they should go over there. And I did do that. I was always trying to encourage people. I don't anymore. I really don't. If you don't want to go, don't go. Don't go. Because if you go for any other reason than just God, then it's not going to work for you. You know, it's just not going to work. You say, well, yeah, I want to go, but no, I don't think there are any buts. But I don't have the money. That's not an excuse. I mean, Jesus didn't tell his disciples to go work for six months and open up a savings account and then go out by twos just in case one of you runs out of money first? I mean, that's not what it was about. I don't believe that there are any financial requirements to preach the gospel. Well, first of all, you know, I'm a big, fat, white American sitting around here with everything that the world thinks is great. And out of eight and a half billion people on earth, I'm like the cream of the crop because, you know, I live in a country with toilet seats or something like that. Mm -hmm. And they're serious. And no, I know we are way above everybody else, but I cannot deny the fact that I know many, many, many people that don't even have a toilet to put a toilet seat on and they're out preaching the gospel, you know? So it's not a financial thing. Is it a cultural thing? We've got some cultural issues. We are materialist. I know we claim to be Christians, but really we are materialists. And when any item, whether it's conceptual or physically tangible, becomes more important to you than God, it's an idol, And that's idolatry. Anything we covet in in this place. So you say, well, why don't people go other than they want to if I have to point fingers? You know, I can't point fingers at anybody except myself. Okay, you can look at theological camps, and there literally are some camps that say, well, no, in our concept of missions, and like a very reformed or a certain concept, here's the way world evangelism works. You get baptized, join a church, and then you go on and live your life, and whatever you do is the influence or the testimony of the sphere of influence that you operate, exist in, whether it's your marketplace, your work, your social life, your educational, academia, whatever. And that's the place. And just being you is enough to share the gospel. You know, sometimes they say, well, if you have to use words, (laughs) right?" God himself lets people, entitles people to believe whatever they want to believe, not for as long as they want to believe it. I had a good friend in Jamaica who used to say, you can do what you'd want to do and go where you want to go and say what you want to go, but not for as long as you want to. Mm. And the other issue in this life is, I hate to say the C word, but it's called consequences. You cannot escape consequences. You can say, oh, Lord, forgive me for putting my hand on the stove or forgive me for having an adulterous affair. Well, that child that is born out of wedlock or illegitimate He doesn't just disappear because you ask for forgiveness. I mean, there are consequences to things that we have to, we don't want to take into account, but we have to. I believe you cannot get saved without the word, period. Right. I believe that, you know, because I deal with tribal people all the time and for generations, they have lived in the Amazon jungle. I've been down there for 12 years now preaching to people that they don't know the earth is round. They don't know if it's flat. They don't know anything. They don't know who put the fish in the river. They don't know who planted the trees in the jungle. They don't know why people get sick. Boy, they sure don't know why people die. They have no idea of these very basic things. And so why aren't they saved yet? I know they say, well, the heavens and the earth declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth his handiwork, night unto night, utter speech. There is no language on earth where their voice is not heard. Yes, I agree. You can look at the majesty of the creation and say, there's a creator. Well, that's like, duh. You know, Paul said in the first chapter of Romans, man, you're without excuse. Duh, of course there's a creator. But his name, his name, Jesus, is not in the creation. There is no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved other than the name of Jesus. And if they don't know who Jesus to call on, how are they going to call on them? They can't. Of course, you're a Christian, a Bible reader. You know, I'm going through Romans in that chapter right now where I'll end up saying how beautiful are the feet upon the mountains of those that bring glad tidings of peace. But if they don't hear the gospel, they cannot be saved. Okay, they cannot be saved. I will make an exception for that for abortions. I do believe aborted babies, because the strength of sin is the law, and where there is no law, sin has no power. I don't believe they are sinless in their nature. I believe they are Adamic babies that are aborted from the womb, but I don't believe that they have the C consequences of sin applied to their lives, because there's no nature, there's no law to give strength to that sin or to enforce it. But if you are a human being of accountable countable age where you know right and wrong, there's no other way to be saved except the call upon Jesus. If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just, forgive us of our sins, and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So if there's no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved, I mean, that means that The words that we speak, which I said before, the death, burial, and resurrection, that's the gospel. And if they don't hear the gospel, they cannot. They cannot be saved for all the sacrifices they make, for all the ridiculous, horrendous. There are people in Papua New Guinea who will sacrifice their own children to get rid of their sin. I deal with tribal people that live in a spiritual nightmare because they know they have sin. I've never had to convince them that they have sin in their life, they all know. That's why they kill animals and they do all these rituals. That's why man invents religion so he can appease God. Yeah. But now, once they learn that Calvary is God's appeasement and He accepted it by the resurrection, He proved it. It's paid for. It's done. You're justified on Calvary. To my tribal people, it is the greatest alleviation. It's like, phew, I'm free. I had no idea how to get out of my sin. But Jesus took it, paid for it. I'm free. So our church services go a long time because they're very, (laughs) very enthusiastic.
0: Oh, amen. Amen to that. Yes. Well, I think we've got time for one more question, I think, because probably we'll wrap up (laughs) about 10 minutes. I'm really enjoying this. Just give me one of these things. Stop, Skinner. No, I'm enjoying. (laughs) You're doing (laughs) great and I'm thankful for your contribution. But my question is you're gonna celebrate 55 years in the Lord here next year.
1: Wow, I must be old.
0: <laughs> the reason I say that is because I was born within a year of when you got saved. <laughs> so it's easy for me to do that math. Yeah, I was born in 69. So can you, for a moment, just you know, maybe reflect on what is it that has kept you? Obviously you've had seasons like we all do in your faith and your walk that have been probably more intense than others. But here we are almost 55 years later, and you're still going for the gospel. What, if anything, can you share with us that kind of would open our insight into how you've been able to be consistent, persistent, and keep going in your faith and also in your conviction for the preaching of the gospel?
1: Well, I can tell you this. I've not been saved by my own strength or determination. There have been many times in my Christian life when I've not been on a hilltop. I am now, actually. I'm at a point in my Christian life that I'm in full revival. I mean, people are talking about revivals coming. Okay, fine. I've been in revival for a couple years now. I mean, I'm really flying high with Jesus. But yes, I've had my valleys. I've had my times of trial just push through them. I mean, there's no escape. <laughs> you know, I don't think there's a little box that you can check and say, no trials, no tribulations, no hard times, no difficulties, no uh, sacrifices. I think that even if I put myself in a straight jacket, a blindfold and earplugs and was fed through a tube for the last 55 years, I don't think it would make much difference Conflict is part of the Christian life. There's a war of the spirit and the flesh. There's that dichotomy, that clash together. For sure, It's yes. going to happen, you know. And sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. And I have to say this, there's nothing I can do to take the glory away from God, be Pelagian and say that, no, I do it by my own accord. But, you know, in certain countries, they have dog fights. They have rooster fights too. But they have dog fights in some of the countries that I've lived in. And it's like the old timer had two dogs and they asked him, how do you know which dog is going to win? He owns all the dogs he puts on the show. He said, well, the dog that wins is the one I feed the most. That's pretty consistent, you know. Mm. So if you live after the flesh, you're going to reap the flesh. If you live after the spirit, you reap the benefits of the spirit. Is it something that God moves you to do? No, I think it is a decision. I believe in free will. Libre albedrío is what we call it in Spanish. I believe that, yes, God calls. It's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come unto repentance and acknowledgement of the truth. I believe that God's answers for us are yay and amen all the time in Christ Jesus. But do I always pray as much as I could and pray through? Do I always forgive everybody as quickly as I should? Or am I sitting around trying to figure out whether or not they deserve to be forgiven These are personal things. It's not that I'm confused about the mandate of God, you know, 70 times seven. If your brother repent, forgive him, you know, but yet I do have a personality and my personality is not especially as a, well, as a young Christian, you get a lot of grace. You know, when I was very young in the Lord, oh my gosh, I was just doing stupid things all the time, but God was saving me from it. And I was just so excited and love. I was romantically in love with Jesus. But then if you know, especially if you're married, relationships are not about romance. They're about love, which means commitment, patience, perseverance, you know, just doing the things that are really not so fun to do. They're sacrificial. You've got to give of yourself. Nobody likes to do that. I don't like to do that. No one likes to do that. You know, so... How do you get your will? One thing you can do is you can just schedule yourself up to the hilt to keep busy for God and stay active. One thing, I love theology. I've read probably every theology book you could, you know, think of. But one thing I refuse to do is be an armchair theologian. I don't want to just sit and know stuff. So now they tried to get me last Sunday, a week ago Sunday, to go down to the Amazon. We work with the Shawi. I just brought them a few hundred New Testaments. They are solar powered audio players because they don't read or write Spanish. They don't have electricity. So I bring them the New Testament on these little players. And so Mm. we just distributed them among the Shawi people. And they asked me a week ago Sunday, they said, can you come down and help us build a school for them, a Bible school? And that's the discipleship part. You know, hearing about Jesus when I prayed we were there a year ago in March and 61 people came up and gave their lives to Christ. And all I heard in my heart was now what, okay? That's not a plaque you put up on your board in your church to say 61 people got saved. We're in revival. Now, what means the job's not over. That's not the end. That's the beginning. Now we're just starting, but you know, I do have a slip disc. And so, I had to tell the guys, I said, look, I can't carry trusses around the property. No, I can't come. So I had to sit this one out. But I can get on the podcast with Scott McClellan (laughs) (laughs) and talk about Jesus. But just stay busy for the Lord. Keep yourselves involved. And the thing is, is when temptation comes into your life, number one, the biggest boon I've ever had to my spiritual life has been reading my Bible. Just reading the Bible. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, it answers so many questions that haven't even been asked yet. You haven't gotten to this point. What do you do? Well, okay, now that I read how Paul handled it in Corinth or, you know, who Jude was talking about or whatever to different people, you say, okay, that's it. That's the scripture. I've got a scriptural reinforcement and then I can make a decision. Lusting after women. What are you going to do? Are you going to look twice? You don't have to. Honestly, 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 you can just say no and you can keep your mind and you can keep your eyes and just go. I'm not saying that there's no temptation, that there's no trials, there's no difficult spots in life. Of course there are, but we do have a choice and the bottom line is sin shall no longer have dominion over us. That's Amen. the truth.
0: Amen. That's the truth. That is true. Even though it pretends to have such dominion, the truth is that it does not have dominion over us because we're born into the kingdom of God. Amen for that. The prince of this world is
1: judged. He's He's judged. And Jesus is risen from the dead.
0: Amen. So if someone wanted to hear more about you, what you're up to, find out about how to contact you, I'm going to include some information, including your email and some other stuff in the show notes with some summaries of what we've talked about and all of that. But if somebody wanted to reach out to you, how would someone most easily contact you, Dave, and where could they find more information about what you guys are up to?
1: Okay. Information is NBT, Network Bible Translator, just NBT. It's a .dot .org, like Nancy Bravo Thomas. Now, half of it's in Spanish. So if you have any Spanish-speaking audience You can go there. It's got a lot of information in Spanish and English. There is a contact. You can write a contact and it comes. You can put my email up there, dskinner at nbt.org. You can contact me that way. I'd say really that's about it. But if you want to go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, make disciples of all nations, don't wait for me. I'm not in the country a whole lot. Most of the time I'm out if i'm way out then i won't even know that you're trying to contact me but when i come back to civilization we're on facebook but i don't know how face i don't know how long facebook is going to be letting us on because we're just contrary right. to the world you know that's right. all so yeah nbt.org okay you can find us there
0: nbt like nancy bravo Tom, dot org.
1: yeah that's cuz we do bible translations because
0: mm-hmm. there's yes.
1: a lot of people that have no bible at all yet.
0: Yes sir. Yes sir. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I guess you know Scott Ellis should have told me we'd be drinking from a fire hydrant, but uh <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm thankful for the energy and the anointing really that you carry in your walk with the yeah. Lord. It's a blessing. I'm just I'm enriched by it and I know those who hear it will be as well. Thank you so much for being here. Greetings to and happy anniversary to your wife. Thank you. Thank you. I'll try to catch up next time you're passing close to Texas or I'm passing close to Fort Lauderdale or somewhere you're going to be. Let's do catch up in Amazon, person. You know? Yes. And why not? Yes. And amen. Thank you. Blessings to you today.
1: All right, brother. God bless you. Thank you. God Godspeed to you.
0: Thanks again for joining us. Really appreciate it. Wasn't it incredible to hear how God has totally transformed Dave's life? Wow. And then made him that firebrand that we were talking about earlier. Do you have a story of God's transformation in your life? I would love to hear about it. Please do send me an email. And here's the address. Scott, S-C-O-T-T, at FXMissions.com. Com. We appreciate you being here and we would love to hear from you. One more time. My email address is scott at fxmissions.com. Thank you for being a part of the Leaders Moment podcast. We also want to say thanks to Vision Voice, our sponsor, and encourage you to check out their website at visionvoice.us. Also, if you haven't already, please visit leadersmoment.org slash follow to have this podcast and future ones delivered to your favorite podcast app every time we publish. Thanks again.